0: You are listening to a Core Awareness seminar by Liz Cook. Her website is www.coreawareness.com. That's C-O-R-E Awareness.com. Please note that Core Awareness is a trademark signature of Liz Cook. Her workshops, seminars, books, and CDs. The information presented in the seminar is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose of the seminar is to provide information and to simply educate. The author and publisher shall have neither liability nor responsibility to any person or entity with respect to any loss, damage, or injury caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly by the information, suggestions, explorations, or exercises contained within the seminar or written in response to the seminar. The author is not a medical authority, and she is not qualified to diagnose or prescribe any therapy. The information is simply her personal opinion. Please seek medical care for whatever condition
1: to welcome everybody this is uh, my podcast core awareness and i'm liz cook and my website is coreawareness.com so my current uh work is stalking wild so as embodying your core intelligence so i'm working with the idea of rewilding what what would it take to know ourselves through the animal body sensory system i find that the fear and um pushback on wilderness from the overculture what we call the colonized culture the patriarchy uh, capitalism is uh, working its magic all the way through into the very soul of our being so the tissue called psoas is often thought of as this uh, structure as this something that we're going to learn to control this top down. And my work for 45 years has been to focus on actually listening to the animal body, to listening to my sensory system, to allowing it to move me and shape me. just So as in Taoist healing, it's called the muscle of the soul. and. For me, core integrity is a lived, embodied, flourishing agency and self-actualization. To be integral is not to be in harmony with the culture. It is to be coherent with the earth. So what SOAS speaks to is this relationship to our bones, to the earth, to showing up here, our ability to fully be in life and to participate in the kinship of all life. So today's conversation is with a very special woman, Christy Taylor, and we're gonna have a conversation. And what that means, it's different than when I'm doing interviews. Um, We're gonna just sit together as if we're at a coffee shop or in one of our homes and having a cup of tea. And actually we both are in our homes, but due to the pandemic, Uh, Christy is in her hotbed of uh, Canadian uh, COVID lockdown, so you may hear some family animal noises (laughs) on her end, um, and maybe on mine as well. And so I want to introduce Christy. Christy um, is a certified Canadian counselor, and currently she's working in private practice. She's worked in both
0: individual
1: and group settings and has offered group counseling in the areas of trauma, grief, women's bodies, and inner psychic landscapes. Her work is grounded in a humanistic approach which supports healing and well-being through self-actualization that allows for the development of integral relationships, creative expression, and empowered choice-making. She has worked in both community-based and public school settings as an educator an activist and a counselor. Christy and I met at a retreat training with Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes, the Jungian psychotherapist renowned for uh, her mind-boggling, soul-awakening women who run with the wolves. She is both an author and a cantadora, a storyteller, a bringing the archetypal uh, healing power of myth and story to guide all people, but specifically women, towards a deep, deep healing. Dr. Estes, um, I'm gonna quote you something on her. We are all filled with longing for the wild There are few culturally sanctioned antidotes for this yearning. We are taught to feel shame for such a desire. We grew our hair long, we used it to hide our feelings, but the shadow of the wild woman still lurks beneath us during our days and on our nights. No matter where we are, the shadow that trots behind us is definitely four-footed. So welcome, Christy. Thank you so much for joining me.
2: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I love the topic, so I'm really excited to dig in a little bit. I love the idea of a conversation over tea. I made some tea to have this conversation, so uh, I'm ready. Okay.
1: So... um so where I want to start to shape it, because I know we are going to, we don't know exactly where we're going to go, and that's what I love about unfolding and meandering conversations, is they often take us to places that neither of us have maybe thought we were going to go. But uh-huh. I believe that today's mother, the idea uh-huh. of mother, the mother archetype, is one who brings us both into the world, and I see that as becoming more and more difficult for women, but also instructs us, shapes us. Uh, our behavior outwardly. And for me, mother needs to hold a sacred space for our soul center from the depths of our being. But often mother is often the person to transmit the cultural correct behavior and actually ignite that shame that Dr. Estes is speaking to. Um, she kind of serves at the beckoning of our colonized society. And I don't know how much of that is conscious force or just kind of the default because of our own mothering, but um, what I see is that our mothers can either support or confine our wild nature. She can either teach us by example or teach us to deceive ourselves. So, you know, things like if you don't have anything nice to say, say nothing, or, you know, do not raise your voice and don't rock the boat, and all the things that we learn as be- as good girls for good behavior. So I want to start there because when we, uh, I just want to also introduce that the fact that you and I uh-huh. did some work last year right after COVID started because it gave us an opportunity to sink in. To some of the things that you and I have chatted about, and one of them is the concept of Bluebeard.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: um, well, right I'll off the hop. Oh, go ahead. Go there. Let you start mm-hmm. first. Tell me what you want to say about well, that. before we head into Bluebeard.
2: Yeah, I think just as a response to that, what comes up and has been coming up more frequently for me, um, both in my work and personally as a mother, how I find myself within that, con- you know, the context of mothering is that there's a lot of pressure and a lot of responsibility placed on the shoulders of mother as if mother is the conduit to which all things, you know, she passes it on as if it's hers, it's her doing. And so when I, I, I kind of want to put mother and maybe question how, where we place mother in the larger concept of, or construct even, of how, how we learn to be who we are how we learn to know um, where our voice is, how we feel. Um, With mother, I think what we fail to recognize, especially if we're talking about, like maybe I'm jumping the gun here when I go to mother wound, but maybe defining that, because that seems to be what you're alluding to, that the mother can either support us or she can, you know, confine us. And there's a wounding that's happening in there if, if we're finding ourselves confined by our mothers. By the teaching of our mothers. And so maybe it would be a good idea for us to define or work out how we even just define the mother wound. What I would under, how I would personally understand it is it wouldn't even be, it can be a mother wound, but the wound originates from patriarchal values, from the patriarchy, from what it, you know, where mother, the whole construct and institutionalization of mother. And so if we look at it that way, what we're talking about from the lens of the daughter, isn't so much the mother who inflicted the wound on the child, on the daughter, but rather the unhealed patriarchal wound that the mother carries, and often, most of the time, unconsciously passes on to her child. So she's yeah. the conduit and not necessarily the person, the originator of the wound. And to me, that opens up so much more um, avenues of exploration. Particularly if we're looking at where we find the daughters. You know, we often examine mother from the lens of the daughter. Right. Right.
1: So let's let's I, I agree with that. And I and and there's a couple pieces of it I'd like to kind of maybe uh, break down or you know mm-hmm. play with with pulling some strings some uh, threads out of that. So one of them is um, is the unmothered or abandoned mm-hmm. uh, that what Doctor Estes speaks to about how to learn to you know the warming of the stone child to how to nurture ourselves if we don't have a mother or we our mothers have abandoned us or how do we create an inner mother so that's kind of one piece of motherhood is women who are just maybe mothers themselves, but haven't been mothered. And so are, are uh, looking maybe back into a longing that doesn't allow them to fully uh, kind of participate with themselves mm-hmm. because they don't have.
2: Yeah, so let's speak there first. Anything well, you, you know, yeah, what, what comes up for me is like if we were to define motherhood, you know, uh, as our overculture defines motherhood, it would be, you know, um, selfless, loving, full sacrifice, you know, for the benefit of their children. Um, Yes. All loving, all giving, all, you know, again, all sacrifice. And so implicit in the definition of our or of our overculture's definition of motherhood is this sense of selflessness. And so if we strive to achieve that, we are complicit in our own alienation because we've agreed to become selfless in the act of parenting our children. So where does that, where does that land?
1: Right. Yeah. Well,
2: Right. and so what I find interesting in particular with the work that I do is that so many, so I work with a lot of young women. um, And one of the most common presentations that I see is this issue of codependency. And, you know, codependency being a disease of lost selfhood. Um, And we can begin to define that as any suffering or any dysfunction that is associated with or results from focusing on the needs and behaviors of others. Which is interesting, because if you think about motherhood, that's exactly what we think motherhood is supposed to be. That we become so preoccupied with the important people in our lives, in this case, mothers with their children, that they neglect their own true self. And then they're applauded for it. They're celebrated for it. They're held on a pedestal for it. They're the, you know, that's who we aspire to be like. And so this idea of suffering and sacrifice end up being the kind of definition of womanliness in our culture and perhaps most especially in the concept of motherhood. And so what does she have to pass on to her daughter if she has no sense of self? If she's been conditioned to believe that the entire work, her work revolves around, not having one.
1: So I have, I have different reactions to that and I'll call okay. them reactions, not comments. Just yep. um, yep. <laughs> yep. so to put it in perspective. Um, yep. So, so I I, I, I agree like intellectually, I totally get it. And mm-hmm. yet, and yet I have an end yet. And mm-hmm. yet um, I, I feel that there is something missing in kind of um capacity to hold space for another person without sacrifice oh yeah Um, i agree yeah yeah and so what i see is there's kind of a tottering between you know the mother who goes all the you know really serves the the patriarchy and the mother who kind of leaves uh a vacancy because she's uh she's attending to herself. So there's an abandonment of holding space because maybe she doesn't know how to, I don't know. But, but this kind of, so I, I feel like the path of motherhood which I think both you and I have taken is a kind of middle road of knowing how to really show up for a person, hold space for them, even when it might mean I'm not doing everything I want to be doing. That's not mm-hmm. a sacrifice to me. It's a uh, intention mm-hmm. uh, when my children were young. <clears throat> so I didn't. Yes. Yeah, so I just want to kind of curve that around because, as someone, because I see women as kind of, to me, um, capable of abandoning their babies uh, mm-hmm. because somebody else can tend to them because I have more important things to do. And and I have an I think issue with that.
2: Mhm, um I think of it as yeah, box. I think
1: I, I still think of his mother, mother, mother bear who's going to show up and attend to her her
2: crew, you know, mhm, I guess you know part of where I go with the kind of the kind of overview that I just gave was that. There, are, if there's a repression of our observations, if there's a repression of our feelings and our reactions to what it means to be mother and all the possible ways in which we might effectively mother our children, um, we be, we begin to, we, well, first of all, we feel completely invalidated and we lose connection to our internal cues. We learn, we lose connection to be able, being able to rely on our own, uh, assessment of what is in front of us and so i don't know how these two ideas come together on one hand i guess you know it's not it's maybe not um maybe it's worth looking at the idea that motherhood is instinctual you know because i don't know if it is i mean in fact I, i argue that maybe it's not for all people motherhood is not necessarily an instinct that they have and that not all mothers who have children want to have babies Right. So it brings up this whole other, you know, examination of, you know, forced labor, because, you know, women, it's primarily women who are responsible for rearing children, and women don't always have control over what happens to their bodies. Increasingly, you know, states are passing legislation that says that, you know, they can't access abortion. And, and so there's this kind of forced, unpaid labor imposed on women. And yet then this expectation that they show up in this one way that is relevant to many people who have those instincts potentially intact, who want to have children who have agency within that, you know, realm. Uh, so we're not all. I think it's important to note that we're not all entering into that role uh, from an equal place. Right. Right. And, that, and, I, also and think,
1: I also think you, you bring a you bring a piece in, which is um, the commodification of of children. So not only as work labor but as
0: possession.
1: Yeah. Yeah, cheap. and so we're yeah. also seeing, you know, many women who become mother because that's kind of like you own a car, you have a kid, you uh-huh. you know, buy your house, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. you it's a possession. So uh-huh. we're really so in some ways, I want to kind of turn it towards daughters because mm-hmm. one one of the reasons I'm I'm working this way is not to work with the mother, but to work with the mother within. Because as you said, mm-hmm. it plays a huge role in our own
2: capacity as women to show up with well, our
1: relationship with mother.
2: Yes, and it's actually where our power lies. If we can we if we can take the pressure off of the biological mother, and place it on the verb you know, not the noun, but the verb of mothering, and we find surrogates, which don't necessarily mean women surrogates, but a combination of internal and external resources, including questioning, you know, questioning, you know, where we came from, where our mothers came from, where our grandmothers came from, where our great grandmothers came from. We have the capacity to totally uh, break the cycle and if we if we understand um inter- intergenerational trauma as being passed on then we have to also see the other side of the coin which is we can twist it and turn it and flip it t- to being intergenerational healing and so i'm all for that conversation about what we can um how we work with daughters how we work with who are sometimes mothers <laughs> you know um but daughters who are in in that uh particular path on the journey who are in that in that examination of oh here I am in front of something. It doesn't have to be a child, and it can be some creative project. It can be any, any particular endeavor that they are, um, have embarked on that requires the – or which would be facilitated, I suppose, with a, with a healthy internalized mother, and yet they don't, they don't have one to refer to. So what do they do? Yeah, Where do they exactly. Go? And that, that is
1: why I'm particularly interested is because the women I am working with who come to my workshops, when I really look at and listen to what they're they're coming, they're, they're 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 women who are still struggling with having a healthy capacity to care for themselves on some mm-hmm. level, and they yeah. may be literally uh, struggling with a physical mother as well. But mm-hmm. but there's still this kind of uh, force that has shaped them that they're trying to turn towards. So I want to go to Bluebeard here. And Uh I want to talk about um, what we did last year, which was to work with that um, metaphor or that uh, archetype because it's a tale of sabotage, both Uh from within and from out. And when we focus on Bluebeard as a predatory force, kind of known Mm -hmm. as what the saboteur, Uh um, the the mother in that story um, chooses to let her child be duped. And in fact, cr- encourages her not to listen to her instincts. Um, so that's a, that's a piece I hear in women. They don't know how to listen to their own instincts and trust what they're hearing. And they're not in their, their tissue uh, so that they can really kind of feel the animal body, uh, that, that natural force of nature that's coming through that both helps us survive but thrive. hmm So in fact, this mother kind of uh, doesn't teach her to notice the subtlety of this man with a blue beard. So she misses the symbolism uh, and misses the mark in understanding that she is in danger. And I hear women talk about their mothers sabotaging them, uh, you know, kind of, yeah, you know, there's lots of pieces there. But what I recognized when we actually worked with this with Dr. Estes was that she asked the question, who is Bluebeard within me? And interestingly enough, not, not totally um, uh, unexpected, but what immediately came up was my mother. My mother wasn't the mother in the Bluebeard story. My mother was Bluebeard. Mm-hmm. She was a destructive force who literally would threaten to kill me. Uh-huh. and meant it um, uh, and, and so, so in, in working with Bluebeard I see these different angles but I see a piece that is then internalized whatever your mother's doing is internalized as then oh okay so what does that mean inside of me and that's uh-huh. kind of where I'm focused in in the whole idea of mother is how we're kind of how do we take this what we've internalized from our mother Mm -hmm. good, bad, and otherwise,
2: and work with it. Yeah, I mean, it's complex work, that's for sure. It's not straightforward work. Um, I do think that the first step, well, maybe it's not the first step, actually. In in all honesty, I think that it's true that many um, people who even enter into therapy will come in with a conflictual, you know, relationship toward their own mother And yet there's still a part of them, even, and there's extremes, of course, there's a spectrum of, of, you know, um, of of abuses that happen uh, toward daughters by their mothers. Um, Most, large of the time, it's unconscious. Um, But they, in spite of that, they are, they really struggle with this piece of, do I have permission to look at this stuff? Do I have permission to name what my experience has been? uh is my experience validate valid mm-hmm. um and what i m- where i'm going and what i'm finding and this is why when we discussed the uh, talking about this i'm like you know it's going to be a little bit mucky how we get into this because of where i just am in, in looking at what i see in the daughters that show up is a real they don't want to um alienate their mothers they often deeply love their mothers um, and so, part of what I think happen needs to happen on the end, and I'm skipping over here, is an understanding of this wound, while inflicted via the mother. I'm coming back to the same point, is something that she inherited. She didn't have those things to pass on to you. She didn't, for so whatever the reasons were, for you know, whatever needs, narcissistic needs that she had in childhood that went unmet, remain unmet, and so you get parented by a woman. has deep um, needs that she's never she's never had met so she can't parent you from that place and so the healing and the forgiveness and the ability to um, give the daughter with it for the daughter to give permission somehow seems to open up more widely once they understand that it's not just them that, that they are healing and leaving the mother behind but it's They're healing, not only for themselves, but on behalf of the women who came before them, and also for the women who potentially will come after them. And so all of a sudden, then they have way more permission to explore. And I think that it's helpful, and it's, it's important to take it off of the shoulders of the mother. And the other thing about that, actually, about taking it off the shoulders of the mother is that so many women still today do not feel like they can talk about these things because they carry so much shame. And, you know, you look at social media, you look at the conversations that they have with their friends, they look at, you know, social media in particular with these one dimensional images of what it looks like to, you know, on Mother's Day, for example, we just celebrated that, you know, recently, and how that's just harmful in most uh, instances, because there's so many people do not have this you know, smiling, you know, waif of a woman who runs through the meadow and gently taps her child on the head with a smile and the clothes are clean and the blankets are clean and her clothes are pressed. They don't have that relation. They don't have that image. They don't have that relationship. They don't even have that, well, they may have that longing, but they don't, it lacks so much understanding um, for the complexity of what really exists. And so first, I think, you know, it's important to really, um, Well, I mean, maybe not first, but simultaneously to look at it in a in a kind of overculture definition of what it looks like, and then in in the personal. Because if we don't have permission to talk about, if we can't embrace the shadow aspect of motherhood, which still, you know, is what we are confronted with today, then we, um, you know, we can't. You were talking about like being integrated and having cohesion. Well we need to be able to embrace those parts. We need to be able to talk about them and and not have them be a direct reflection of who we are as daughters or as mothers. And, um, in order to do that, I think we have to lay down finger pointing and blame and say, okay, let's look at this from a much larger lens.
1: So, so I'm curious. Okay. So one of the things that I find working is, um, is first the actual physicality of the work. Like, so, for example, working with psoas, when I uh-huh. help women start to explore how they hold themselves physically, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. how they feel safe. And uh-huh. and as we play with that in the core, a lot of it is about uh, uh, recruiting uh, literal psoas as a kind of holding pattern for uh, Feeling safe, so you're looking at muscular armoring. You're looking at a lack of breath. You're looking at a lack of responsiveness as a way of kind of holding it all together, being good or mm-hmm. being uh, okay, feeling safe. And then, mm-hmm. and then as we play with that, we start to allow a more uh, juicy responsiveness and and finding these primal responses, which is to ward off or to push back or to say get out of here you know get out you know and 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 confront and or to hide or to just feel exhausted and want to curl in and and let go and just be with oneself and not be confronted with someone else's field of energy Mm -hmm. especially when we have mothers uh the mother who is controlling or Mm -hmm. she herself is out of control and you as daughter are also Not only trying to understand yourself, but also literal have literal relationship with a mother. So we're looking at these different dynamics. But what I see is when we get to the, we start getting in our bones, so to speak, quite literally. When we start Mm -hmm. feeling proprioceptively grounded and our nervous system starts to regulate, what shows up is the rage, is the Mm -hmm. anger, and and. I've been working with that because all my life, actually, um, mm-hmm. but playing with that range of what I would call natural moral outrage, which I see few people really actually activate, especially in white women, uh, and we and white women often have reactions to black women's ability to feel moral outrage, and but we we shame by saying, you know, mm-hmm. that's the the angry black woman so just mm-hmm. as a contrast we're looking at this like there is something that needs to stand your ground to you know it, it's like you you can't go yes i can understand where my mother you know her background and her ancestors mm-hmm. and that is part of it the compassion but there's also the ability to feel the energy of sacrifice within one's own tissue of being mm-hmm. actually sacrificed and i know so many women who's Mothers actually are the ones who end up, along with their fathers, sacrificing them for something they want or feel is important in that overculture. So they're actually offering up their daughters as sacrifice.
2: You want to speak to anything I've just said? Please do. Well, I I think that, you know, it's not, um, again, it's such a complex issue But it doesn't, you know, even though we're looking at it from like placing it and naming it more truthfully and identifying where the wounding comes from more truthfully, it's true that in in the here and now, there are daughters, it seems to be what we're talking about, but sons too, but daughters who have to have to set limits, they have to understand boundaries, they have to understand where their no comes from. And so... While you say, okay, so it's interesting that you say that you see rage come in, which rage is good, because rage has to come before we can analyze anything. Because if you have mm-hmm. repressed rage, you are you have no boundary setting emotion, you have no access to your note, you have no act, you know, we I work lots with women saying, Oh, where's your, you know, where's your anger? You know, all this, you know, yeah. you're telling me a story that I'm feeling so angry on your behalf. What is that? You know, what do you make mm. of that? You know what do you make of that? And I will hear stories and I my will literally my blood will start boiling, and the cli- and mm-hmm. my client is just you know telling me the stories that she's just telling me a chapter narrative of her, you know of her life story with no emotional reaction, and because it's so repressed and so, uh yeah so what I've noticed is that once we can start accessing the anger, and then all of a sudden you know she believes oh wait a minute I have a right to the word no oh, wait, I have a right to name this. Oh, wait, I have a right to actually um, rescue myself. I have a right to protection. Uh, I have a right to finding alternative sources. Um, then what we see, though, once that's been worked through, is we see profound grief. And so, mm. and that is where, you know, I think it comes in more where she can really acknowledge her loss. Um and it can, you know, starts to explore in so many different ways, um, you know, well exactly what has been lost and what needs to be um, found, regained, reclaimed. And for many, you know, for many just initiated, there's, you know, there's been never a permission to say no. And so we think of the the story of Bluebeard. It's not that the mother you know, punished her daughter. The mother had no capacity to teach her child, hey, see with your eyes, hear with your ears, feel with your body. There was nothing there to be passed on so that when she saw her the beer being blue, you know, and thus, you know, little, you know, with was a picnic and, you know, castle and all these different, you know, beautiful things that were being taught kind of represent success. Um, all of a sudden the beard started to become less blue. And what we need to be teaching about, okay, bluebeard synonymous with red flag is bluebeard is not proceed with caution. It is bluebeard, stop. Red flag is mm-hmm. not proceed with caution. That would be yellow, I guess. A <laughs> yellow flag. Right. A, right. a red flag is you stop. It's no. Yeah. And we don't have those conversations enough. And that's, and that's, I mean, that's taught in so many different ways. You know, that you don't have a right to that. No, you don't, you know, and, and so you're disconnected because, I mean, bringing in the animal body, maybe you want to speak a bit to that. It's a feeling that you begin to, that you become completely cut off from. Because if you're in touch with your instincts, if you're in touch with your intuition. Uh, it's not a, it's not a thinking process that you go through. It's a physical, it, you feel the no. Yes, you feel absolutely. the no before That's you exactly, think the no. You
1: hit it on the mark. That's what I'm trying to teach women. How to find? Yeah, it. so a lot of the things that I'm doing to it them. thematically,
2: and you're doing yeah. it psychologically. Yeah, but right. I do bring the body into it because if yeah. they don't have ground, if they don't, right. if they don't find their ground. You know, we think. I mean, there's so much anxiety out there. You know, the, the levels of anxiety are off the charts. Uh, you know, especially now with what we've just been through as a collective. You know, we've all experienced trauma at this point, one way or another, through this pandemic the amount of energy that circulates, you know, in the head and outside the head in the kind of outside energy field is, it has to be grounded. And so what happens, what I see in my practice, and I'm not a somatic educator, I'm not trained that way, I just know how to bring energy back into the body um, is a a definite, like, arriving. Oh, here I am. Oh, okay, that feels better. Yeah, let's get back into your body, because your body has a lot of information to tell you about. But that that is definitely, well, I mean, for maybe some very lucky women of my age, you know, I'm 45. um, I don't know too many women my age who have had that passed on to them by their mothers because their mothers have been taught to completely disconnect from anything that resonates with, uh, this doesn't feel okay. Um, Give up my whole selfhood for motherhood? I mean, they don't even question it. It's just expected. So...
1: there's a division between between the instinctual the instinctual sense of no like i i i i'm very clear on my instincts they they show up i know them i honor them i recognize them and i participate you know Uh and and what i'm looking at is women who vacillate Even though I literally some women, I can sense in their body that impulse, I can feel it in my, like you can feel the anger in someone who's telling a story as if there's no reason, Uh there's no emotion. I Uh have that same sense of literally feeling the person bypassing their own instinct. Uh It's like I can feel them like, and I'm curious, you know, what is happening right in that moment where they disassociate? You
2: know,
1: and, and well and it's just I guess like that, the split second they're not they're not seeing the red flag they're not
2: sensing it no I mean I think if because for many people who have been traumatized going into their body and going into their knowing their body their physical knowing is so scary and terrifying because when they had that when they were when they experienced trauma in childhood they had no resources they couldn't get themselves out of that danger and so bringing them into that place can actually trigger a trauma response. And then they're in fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And you have to then work with those mechanisms to then remind them that, you know, you're, you're not in the past. Your brain can't tell time. So just because we come into the body and that triggers something that is, you know, floods your body with all the different chemicals of your, the danger, danger chemicals, get the hell out of there. It's not true. And so we have to start developing this kind of wiser self and help, you know, people regulate themselves and understand that this is a misfire, and learn to become safer in their own bodies. So then, that's a whole conversation about trauma and how that would interfere. Right, which
1: is which. The SOAS is part of and and uh-huh. you know, it's part of the autonomic nervous system. So
2: so uh-huh.
1: one of the things is you can't control it. You have to actually uh-huh. right. turn towards it, right? And yeah. and then then you can. There are things you can do, as simple as getting on the floor and feeling. You know and yeah. weighted blankets, and literal grounding, and nature is is yeah. huge. Mother nature is the co-regulator. So yeah. what I also see, which is going to track back to our relationship with our literal mother, mm-hmm. and was kind of what I was bringing up as those, the mother bear, is that our, our overculture tells women that they can do it all, that they can... Uh, you know, be mothers, they can work full time, they can be great sexual partners, they can have a beautiful home, they can, you know. So there's a consumption, uh, a dance that they're 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 being kind of uh, like the red shoes. I mean, it just keeps going faster and faster and faster. There's like, this dance and, and indigenous cultures, there's actually uh, stories around the extinction of human beings by moving faster and faster and faster and so we're literally spin off the earth and we're no longer here and mother nature has you know gotten rid of us which i feel we are in that dance so the so the woman who is following what the culture is telling her about being pregnant having a baby timing it right you know having Setting their date, if they need to, all these things, and I'm not even getting into the fact of how do we support ourselves. I'm just looking at the the biological responses. Baby and mother are are together, so that daughter, if she's, you know, is is intimately, literally within her mother, and as she's moving through this story that she calls her birth versus the mother's story about birth. They are separate. They are two, but. So what our mothers tell us about our birth and what we actually experienced in our birth could be different. When we arrive here, one of the ways we start to ground, even without any, and birth trauma is certainly the first trauma or conception, uh, you could say, as well as in the womb. What we're really looking at is the capacity to co-regulate because our mammals' bodies are not cannot regulate themselves and yet Uh our whole parenting style is based on separation and individuation which Uh is part of that idea that we are separate from life separate from the earth and separate from each other Uh that is a place where so many now women have arrived where there is in this past hundred years where you know having your nursery set up with you know, stuffed toys that are made out of synthetics, as the, the, the yummy, you know, nurturing, all these things to occupy the organism, that actually isn't what it needs. It actually needs no. to be on the ground, on a body, on a uh-huh. human body, so it can uh-huh. regulate and get its nervous system going. So part uh-huh. of what I see happening in that scenario, which is the story women are told and they believe that story um, which is kind of where I'm you know well it's not true the story
2: it's not true it's you know to tell somebody but it's so interesting how much it's reinforced in our culture and how much I can I'm so guilty of 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 of, um I I would say that personally so I had my fourth child while I was in graduate school (laughs) so I'm an example of you know you can do it all which that was not what was happening for me personally. I was surrounded by incredible amounts of support to be able to do that. You know, that was that there is no way I would have been able to do that without the support system that was in place and had been in place for actually a very long time. Um, There's just no way I would have been able to do that. But what would what I would get as feedback in the world of oh hey how are you what are you doing and where are you at and oh my gosh you have four kids how do you is this you are so superhuman you are so this it is so fascinating and so great I'm like no this is completely unrealistic what you're saying the only reason this happened was because I I found myself lucky enough found myself in a community that supported that and I mean mm-hmm. really supported that. Yeah. And so this myth of you can have it all in one moment and you can, you know, you can have the career, you can have the children, you can have the, the body, you can have the, uh, it's nonsense. And it puts women in pursuit of what is unattainable and keeps them trapped in the shame cycle of they're not enough, they're not good enough, constantly striving and not stopping and being, like you were mentioning now with the body on body, being in the present moment with what is in front of them and having that be completely enough. That's enough. And and letting them have a voice in that. So this is why when we when you brought up, we want to talk about mother, I thought, okay, well, this is a loaded, <laughs> loaded <laughs> conversation that have so many different pieces that need to be, uh, or layers, maybe is a better way to explain it, you know, peeled back to really find, and I'm only, I'm always so interested in like just finding, getting closer to the truth. What is the truth? And, you know, the fact that women are not talking about this more often, they were, you know, they come into session and they feel, what, uh, one particular woman uh, recently had a, a child and was just beside herself because of the level of exhaustion she felt, as if that was somehow indicative of failing. And I thought, okay, let's just talk about it in, like, common sense. And I just said, well, what happens if you don't sleep? <laughs> like, you're exhausted. That's all that that is. This is not indicative of failure. This is the reality of what happens to many women who are expected to, like I said, you know, make it look effortless and be super happy while doing it and and it's just all garbage. None of it's true. And so, so I do mothers,
1: think it's cumbers- pa- of Mothers are part of grooming their
2: daughters to be part of the patriarchy. Well, I would say I would Language, I think, too, becomes very important. So grooming, okay. to me, is a really is a word. It's grooming is intentional. When someone builds a relationship, but I think some women
1: are. I think they they are. They they know that you're better off. You'll be cared for if you can play that role. Okay. Whatever that well, role is, you know, a superwoman of doing it all, of being.
2: You know, and then, and then I great would
1: sex with your husband, you know, uh, you
2: know, right? Or your partner, but I, your... mm-hmm. in those cases, then to me, what I see it just speaks to the, the um, profound limited amount of choices that that mother had. That if that's what she believes is her becoming complicit with the oppressor is a way of surviving, that's a survival and fear based. Uh, teaching and that is not you know yes we want daughters to break that and to find ways in which they can challenge that thinking and not believe that and then you know continue to um to perpetuate that you know for themselves their daughters I think though more often while there does exist that there are women who do that I think more concerning is that this it happens so unconsciously that women don't realize that they are that that's what they're teaching their daughters to do and if it remains unconscious, if we, if it lacks awareness, then it just continually perpetuates itself because we can't, we have nothing to discuss. So I think two different, I mean, they're, they're related, but what's unconscious So I'm going to use an example.
1: I'm going to use an example. Okay. So, so a a woman I know, a colleague of mine has told me, you know, something about her own mother. And, and one of the things that, you know, her mother has, demonstrated in her own life and is vital to her is for example getting botox trying to look as young as possible for this woman's father right Uh and Mm -hmm. and maintaining that that integrity of relationship with this man and and she's watched her mother and yet she's very somatically oriented she has chosen to be she has gone off to you know kind of learn about her own sensory system and her own psychology and her own experience but she's looking at her but her mother is kind of it 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 it's like in a certain way their relationship has a strain to it because there is no common ground mhm you know and so that's the kind of way that i find uh, adult women are facing their mothers and and yes, she can feel compassion towards her mother. In fact, she does. I think she feels tremendous compassion that that is that is what her mother is choosing to do to try to hold on to something that she feels of value. But she would also like her daughter to have that value.
2: Okay. And so, do you mean that? Is she, so, is she angry? So, at her
1: symbolically, mom? think of think of symbolically you know, the Botox is like holding something in place. This is what women really need to be doing. You know, comb your hair, put some lipstick on, get yourself to you know, get pull yourself together, find yourself a man, you know, like like there's still that push, even though women are accomplishing well, yeah. all these powerful positions and, you know, ultimately trying to do it all, it's like there is no gratification. There's no end point. Uh-huh. See so what I mean? Like you don't arrive, like you were saying in the arrival of them here and now, in this perpetuation of something that you can call colonization, patriarchy, capitalization, you know, there, there is a kind of drive of always there's more to do there's, and there's better to do and well, so it, the top mm-hmm. down is actually embodied in our own tissue it's, that's how I feel the, the sensory system the human being that I'm working the women that I'm working with they already know they'd like to be more sensory oriented they'd like to know they're no they'd like to mm-hmm. embody more but the top down way of even getting there is still being perpetuated and now it's internalized and it's reflected outside so where do you go with that? You know, because well, you're asking is, people to be genuine. I'm asking that. You're asking that.
2: How? Where do we go? Well, does in that in, in that example of the daughter and the mother, does the daughter see what's happening to the mother, or is the daughter just carrying on the same? No, she's buying.
1: She yeah. It. So, so you're looking so that, at that. So then the strain in the relationship is that right. there's no. Yeah. You know, yeah.
2: So that is the grief. I mean, this is is where we, that is the grief. This is where Mm -hmm. we go. We go to grieving because it Mm -hmm. is profound loss for the daughter Mm -hmm. to not be able to access her mother. This is what keeps daughters from a lot of the times doing the work that there is such, when you see the grief come in, it is uh, all consuming, They do not Mm. want to lose their mothers. And when they have to look at it and they see the limited, for many moms, you know, they're just, they're never going to be able to meet their children or their daughters. Let's keep it in that lane for a minute. The mother will never meet her there. And so that has to be grieved. But it doesn't mean that the relationship has to be uh, a dead end relationship and there's nowhere to go. What it means then is that the daughter, it's the most courageous work, it's why I'm so passionate about the work I do, has to then decide, coming full circle to what you were asking earlier about mothering ourselves, how then does she find the surrogates that can model for her, that can mentor for her, that can hold her, that can validate her, that can see her, that can hear her, And, Mm -hmm. and so she knows what her truth is that's mm-hmm. why when i'm saying we have to we can't blame mothers we have to bring mothers into this healing because she doesn't look at her she's looking at her mother and her anger and her frustration and her like lack of understanding is really defenses that are keeping her from actually feeling how much she has lost in the legacy or lack of legacy that has been passed on when it comes to healthy internalized mothering and so right. when she understands that her mother is tied into a system that has oppressed her then she can say, okay, mom, I'm going to actually do this work. I'm giving myself permission to do this, but I'm not leaving you behind because I'm going to do this for you. And you may never in human form ever be able to acknowledge this. In fact, you might punish me for it. And that's true too. But the more the daughter can set her boundaries and the more the daughter can operate from what is her inner truth, the less likely she is, to actually abandon the mother who ultimately probably carries that as the biggest fear that she possesses of the being abandoned by her daughter, you know, wanting the daughter to, you know, mesh with her daughter and having her daughter never leave her side. And for all the different, you serve me, you take care of me, you know, whatever, however the presentation of that goes, the more the daughter can actually set boundaries and operate from a place of grounded truth for her, the more she has the capacity to actually make authentic connection with her mom. Oh, that's beautifully okay. said. And I so agree with that. And I,
1: and and I, it, it, and I see a lot of women standing in that, in that place of knowing they don't want what their mother
2: is offering, but they don't want to lose their mother.
1: And so They I, do I not
2: want this. to lose their mother. And let me tell you, when you are in that space, it is the most moving, uh, healing. Um, yeah, I get moved even just thinking about it. it is, that is where healing happens. And, and that's
1: where ancestral healing happens.
2: Yes, that's exactly right. That's, it's, it's in understanding that if my, and so how brilliant and beautiful and worth celebrating it is if a daughter lands today in front of someone who believes that, that she that can hear her truth and so that she can access her true self right? In that relation, that corrective relationship, sometimes it's therapy, sometimes it's a mentor, sometimes it's a friend, sometimes it's an elder that lives next door, sometimes it's a teacher, you know, wherever that, that relationship can happen. Um, When she can, um, when that happens for her, the mother is, is, um, she can see her mother's higher self. She can actually form relationship with her mother's higher self, even if the mother herself cannot access her because she's Mm -hmm. so much more far-seeing. She can see, okay, mom, if you had all of this at your disposal, if you were given the privilege to ask a question, to question something, you were given permission to feel something and have it be validated. You, I know that you would have offered that to me too, because it's in our, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's um, intrinsic to our, you know, our natural, you, you, you used the word earlier, self-actualization. It's, it's, we, we all have, and this comes back to even Esty's work. There is always, in spite of such fascinating working with trauma, there is always this indestructible piece of us that is longing to make contact with its own truth. And that mm-hmm. can't be distinguished. It can be buried to the point where it can't be retrieved, which is, you know, how we're describing some of these moms, but, um, but it still is there nonetheless. And so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's, that's, how, I would, that's well, you've, how I would. you've
1: several times um, talked about, um, as we start to wrap up it, you've, you spoke uh, several times about uh, finding that support and how that yeah. support doesn't have to be the literal mother. It can be those who know how to hold space, those who know how to show up, who are being held by someone else. You know, so they have, they have the capacity, they've grown that capacity, and how rich that is. And that brings us into really a, a community, a sense of all community, where one person isn't, isn't responsible for, it, it's too big, it's too big to hold any. I mean, to me, some of the most important people to my children were the aunties, were, you know, the, yeah. the women who, who didn't have children as well Mm -hmm. as those who did where we shared that, but it was also the women who didn't have children, but who could stand in that uh, beautiful reckoning of looking at my children and saying, I see you, you know, as my daughters, you know, and and how that's important, even if the mother-daughter relationship is good, it's still needed
2: because someone's going to see you slightly differently than your mother's (laughs) going to see you. Yeah, and how... I don't want to open a new can of worms because I know we're wrapping up, but <laughs> there can be another, we can, you know, but what comes up for me and like just in, like instinctively what comes up is the idea of how successful we are at, as a culture of, of kind of, you know, um, Rendering those types of relationships illegitimate—they're not real mothering. It's not real care. It's not real. And you look at no farther than myth and see the representation of the stepmother. And we don't have to go deep into that piece, but there are so many. Like, well, again, I don't want to open that can of worms. But the stepmother is often portrayed, you know, instead of as a an an additive piece. Who often most stepmothers do arrive on the. Planet and into the family relationship and into the dynamic with tons of love and support and nurturing to offer, and um, are often, you know, yet we see somehow find that this becomes a very highly conflictual relationship. It's a whole other conversation to have, but
1: but it's an um, important thing to weave in a little bit of just even well,
2: just thinking yeah. of
1: that
0: yeah. because how and does
1: that stop us from recognizing that community exactly, be, yeah
2: can be woven and, to
1: be really held, yeah. all of us, to
2: be able to be and held, to, all the women. Mm-hmm. And to speak to those who who might listen to this and think, well, I don't even know where to begin to find that community and how do I even begin to seek something like that out? Um, it is through looking at different kind of, you know, it is beginning to share your story. It is about, you know, finding a trusted person to tell your truth to. It is about, and even if that doesn't exist, that is what Estee's work, you know, can offer is that myth can be so highly supportive because it is a roadmap through this terrain as well. And mm-hmm. what a blessing to have, you know, uh the recordings of Estee's work because she's so maternal in her delivery. You can be nurtured by the story. Um, and so and you know, and for many women, just starting starting there, starting with the story and looking online and finding like a group or some kind of um, yeah, I guess it would be more of like a group or a community where you can go to actually see us days if you want to, but finding something that speaks to you and then engaging in that, um, engaging in, in taking a risk and just showing up somewhere like that can be the beginning of finding um, a space for yourself. So it doesn't necessarily have to be that, you know, this person personally, you, may have to venture out across that threshold, which can be very scary, into this kind of unknown and vulnerable place of allowing yourself to be seen by people um, who have either earned the right to that vulnerability or who are at least um, provide a safe container for you to explore that. And I've seen that happen very successfully. For many women, they have found friendships and they've found places where they can come and, and, and feel seen and be validated. And um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I would
1: add to that. I would add to that that the um, somatic piece is one of the ways to get beyond the fear. So mm-hmm. the grounding of like the physical movements, like I have several classes of recordings on, on you know uh, uh, finding our way out of freezing that freeze mode, mm-hmm. you know, and the movement. The movement can start literally getting on the floor and with Zoom as our as our access point we're literally in our own homes we can begin to land and ground and in that comes the instinctual knowing and Mm -hmm. so then even the opportunity to to who do I choose that question who do I choose getting grounded first getting in your literal bones bone tapping and constructive rest and all the things that you know I share on my website offers that ability to truly land in yourself. And that to me is where the, the instincts lie. The instincts lie in the sensory system. Mm-hmm. The sensory system knows survival. It knows thriving. It, it knows the animal body knows things that my mind mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't know and my emotions may not know how to integrate but they are integrated because we're a matrix and that's part of that concept of body as object rather than body
2: as process yeah and learning how to trust it when your Mm -hmm. whole experience of it showing up as your ally from the beginning because that's what's designed to do and having you be told you don't feel this way that's not how you feel that's you know you're wrong your body's telling, no, you think that's a no, you, you know, when a, even a child protests to their mother or father and they're disciplined, it's disciplined out of them, they lose that trusting of the system. And so how then do they begin to reestablish trust with their own bodies and their own knowing bodies and allowing that to help navigate, you know, ha- lo- allowing that to help them navigate their lives mm. is a big well, piece. Then. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think we'll stop here. This seems like a perfect uh-huh. place to, uh-huh. to kind of land. I want to read something by Stephen Harold Bruner. I, I really, this is, this is in, uh, I quoted it in Stalking Wild, so as embodying your core intelligence. And that's core intelligence is, is the knowing. One of our greatest fears is to eat the wildness of the world. Our mothers instinctively, or excuse me, intuitively understood something essential. The green is poisonous to civilization. If we eat the wild, it begins to work inside us, altering us, changing us. And soon if we eat too much, we will no longer fit the suit that has been made for us. Our hair will begin to grow long and ragged, our gait and how we hold our body will change. A wild light begins to gleam in our eyes and our words start to sound strange, nonlinear, emotional unpractical poetic and once we have tasted this wilderness we begin to hunger for a food long denied us and the more we eat of it the more we will awaken Mm. i love that yeah the idea of mother as nature mother nature Mm -hmm. we see as this Mm -hmm. intertwining uh, conversation right now um, as how do we how do we liberate ourselves as women and nature from the subordination that is
2: mm-hmm.
1: is the domination over and, and as a, yeah. yeah but but to recognize it in myself the domination mm-hmm. over how I've learned or been trained to dominate over myself is mm-hmm. part of that landing or that telling the story uh to someone who says tell me the story you don't have to you know you can tell it any way you want you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. you have to just speak what's true for you mm-hmm. so christy thank you so much for joining me for this conversation yeah thank,
2: you. yeah thank you for having me
1: yeah and for the work you do for so many women and you are uh working
2: online these days so you also I, I don't know if you're
1: full but you uh you certainly
2: yeah, and I, you know, one of the things that might be helpful for people listening that are maybe looking for community spaces is, you know, I co-founded um, Living Story Project, which is a storytelling initiative that centers around issues that matter where we are trying to foster connection and community um, around these types of conversations. So, you know, um, and often through the examination of myths, we partnered with you and did Bluebeard one time, but We've done the Great Cosmic Mother. We've done the Handless Maiden Brilliant Tale, as as far as you know, the daughter finding her way, which was always with her the whole time. Um, mm. We did, you know. So there's always this. We we don't have a website yet, but we are on Facebook. If you want to check us out, Living Story Project, and we're always offering um, kind of evening gatherings. And we've been online for the oh, last. Oh, that sounds months.
1: exciting! Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Great. I'm glad. So, to trying saw to create it. space, yeah, for these types of conversations. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thanks for yeah. joining me. Thanks for having me. Yep. Yeah.